0: You are looking live.
1: I don't believe what I just saw. This is possible.
0: Live from the home of Sarah Shady, public philosopher. It's the 252. Sports Talk Radio is done by academics, including Chris Moore. And Sam Mulberry. And Chris Garrett.
1: Sarah Shady. Our special guest. Welcome to the 252.
0: Welcome. Thank back you. to the 252. Is this yeah. your second or third time?
1: I feel like third. I think it's I've been third, on yeah. for the end uh talking college basketball. I've been yep. on for auto racing. Right.
0: Yeah. And now. Sarah's here to talk with us about gender, gender identity, gender roles. We've uh, Chris and Sam and I, we've talked often on the show, like something will come up and we'll say, oh, we need to talk about gender, we need to have Sarah on, and we thought, let's let's wait. Now a few things have kind of piled up. So in segment two, we're going to talk about the many different ways in which sports and gender intersect and overlap, mm-hmm. how sports can maybe help us think critically about gender, and we'll hear a little bit about the class that Sarah teaches here at Bethel in J-Term, and the minor that she helps coordinate as well. Uh, but let's start with what's in the news, and if you all will indulge me, because I'm a baseball fan, yes. I've now entered the long dark winter of NFL. <laughs> College basketball, NHL, etc. Let's just hold on to baseball for a little bit longer, talk about the World Series. Uh, and Chris, let's start with the politics of the World Series. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this was uh, Game 5
2: Great game Five, National yes. Stadium in yep. D.C.
0: Uh, by his own invitation, I think, the President of the United States came not to throw out the first pitch, but simply to simply show to up partway through the game. Yep. And as I saw it, uh, I mean, I've been to a Nationals game before, and they often do recognize uh, military veterans. Which is what they
2: were doing in this circumstance. And then
0: all of a sudden, the camera shifts to pre- the president, surrounded by a lot of Republican congresspeople, uh, others. apparatchiks. And how would you describe the crowd's response to? Um,
2: not good, Dan. <laughs> not good. <laughs> um, so, no, Chris, this is. So uh, what,
0: what do we make of the booing of the president at sporting events?
2: I'll let you take it from here. Sure. So. My, I guess I would say this is not, this is unusual, but not unprecedented. Okay. So, uh, the, 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 the nationals are recognizing, um, veterans. And then that, that's, that basically concluded, but directly adjacent to that, they showed video of the president in a box, box mm-hmm. seating with a number of Republican party officials and people from the White House. And, We should know that D.C. is an overwhelmingly blue city. Um, So the Nationals fans are likely to be uh, left-leaning, democratically leaning. Uh, We we talked in the past about uh, the political uh, differences of different sports fandoms. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is probably one of the bluer fandoms Mm -hmm. in all of baseball. And relatively quickly, there was some polite clapping, which was almost quickly subsumed by booing. And even a few chants, not universal, but chants of lock him up. yes, Which is a direct mockery of of Donald Trump's leading lock her up for Hillary Clinton. And a
0: couple of impeach Trump banners, I think, were uh, revealed at that point or earlier.
2: Although, which is weird because it wasn't a highly publicized fact that he was going to be at the game. It was known, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't.
0: Um, I think there are some it's, people it's, just it's, carrying those
3: around I at, thinking, any, I at any walk moment. walk around with
1: beach
0: yeah. Trump banners. That's yeah. what I was sort of that wondering. At Walmart at the Nationals game. Yeah. It is interesting that uh, you know, for a long time you did have this kind of venue in which the president would occasionally appear uh, at the national pastime. Yep. I understand. I haven't done a lot of research, but I did read somewhere. The last time we think this had happened was during the Great Depression that Herbert Hoover was throwing on a first pitch. Yes. Um, but then for a long time there was no – uh DC baseball teams, there was no place where you could right. register your disapproval or approval in, mm-hmm. in that way. And so instead, like you think of uh, George W. Bush after nine eleven at the World Series game in New York throwing out the right. first pitch is my last kind of impression of presidential World Series theater. But this heads in a very different direction. And then it it's not apparently just baseball. No, it's uh, not. The president decided to take a second chance of this and showed up at a UFC event was this in New York? I forget the details of this. The Ultimate I, Fighting Championship.
2: I actually forget where the UFC was held, and that's relevant. Um, I, I thought I it was Madison Square Garden, but it, it, it may wrong. It may have been. Okay. Um, I thought, for some reason, I was thinking it was in the South. Our intern um,
3: didn't do the research on this. No, so not I was watching it on pay-per-view, so I didn't really pay attention to I, where I it was. I,
2: right. How was the response there? I, I much I more saw. positive, okay. um, but not universally positive. Mm. Uh, so the the Applause basically drowned out the booze, but there were some perceptible boos at the Mm -hmm. UFC tournament, too. And that's surprising me, not only because we would expect sort of the the demographics of a UFC fighting tournament to be much more male, much more white, much more Mm pro-Trump. But also because Donald Trump himself has business interests with the the UFC. Like, he's (laughs) been an investor in this sport in the past. Um, This should have been safe ground for him. And that's... It makes this a little bit weird.
0: An impeachable ground is that okay for the president to show up and an event his... Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and possibly we're not done with the tour. I've I've heard rumors that the president might make a college football appearance. Is that have we confirmed that? Is that still in the works? Has that, that is been at least
2: as of last time I looked. That is confirmed. So he is set to attend the Alabama LSU football game this weekend.
0: Um, See, if they're getting the president, I feel like we really should have got college game day uh, because the Gophers are hosting Penn State, which is actually in the college playoff top four right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been... Forever since College Game Day has come to Dinky Town. So I, I'm even more <laughs> aggrieved than I
2: was before. Yeah. And I don't mean to be rude, but has College Game Day come to Dinky Town? No, that, forever. It, oh, okay. It's, it's literally it's, forever. It's never okay. happened. Yeah. Right.
0: I, I can't blame them. But this year, if it's going to happen, it's going to
2: happen it's this gonna year. It's going to happen. Uh, how do you feel about PJ Fleck getting a nice, big, fat contract extension?
0: Uh, good for him. Okay. You know, I, I was, like all right thinking Minnesotans, uh, incredibly annoyed by PJ Fleck when he first came. But we like success in Minnesota. You and at least up until the moment Penn State blows us out by four touchdowns, we will appreciate PJ. Fleck. Don't be a Minnesotan oh. on this one. Don't I, be a Minnesotan. I can only be what I am. Do you see that cup there, Sam? I do. I can only call it a cup.
2: I'm a Minnesotan <laughs> sports fan, and that's what I can be. All right. So back back to Trump for just a second. Sure. Uh, I know this is not the uh, election shock therapy. This is the two five two. But does public it is confusing though? I don't blame you. You're does public display on a lot of podcasts? That's true. We're busy. Does public display of opprobrium towards a public official like this? Does this carry a political impact? Are there people who are not deeply politically sophisticated who see Trump getting booted at a major at a World Series game say, whoa, I guess people really aren't so hot on this guy Like does that have an effect?
0: Well, I like how you're asking us this question. So I'll, I'll, I'll act like I'm Andy Bramson or Matt Kukum right now and say yes. Uh, I mean, I think one thing it did to me is remind me just how historically unpopular this president actually is. Mm-hmm. Because like, mostly my mind goes to the kind of like battle state polls we saw earlier this week showing that for everything that's happened, at least according to this one poll, he's still very much in the race. In Absolutely. the key purple states. Mm-hmm. But if you actually stand back, and to the extent national polling matters, uh, there have been very few first term presidents this unpopular with this enduring and unpopularity. Uh, and, and maybe even among his base, there seems to be some evidence that he, some of that support is eroding, maybe as we saw last night in Kentucky, Virginia, at least indirectly. Okay. So, I mean, it, it can sort of be a very visible example of that that feels different than
2: seeing numbers and polls that we parse and dismiss. Now, normally I would say, I don't think this matters. Yeah. But I will throw out just one possible way that it does, which is the baseball television viewership is a skews in a particular kind of way. It does. And it skews towards people who are most likely to both vote for Trump, mm-hmm. but also potentially be demobilized to vote mm-hmm. for Trump. So mm-hmm. if we assume people watching baseball on TV are older and wider than the population in general, then those are the people who probably aren't going to vote for whoever the Democrats nominate, mm-hmm. but they may unenthusiastically go to the polls for Trump, or they may stay home. And hearing people just Uh, booing the president may make them say, ah, this is climate, this environment's not worth it. I'm going to find something else to do on that Tuesday in November. So it could be a historic World Series for lots of
0: reasons, the downfall of a presidency, but also it's historic because uh, it brings the World Series back to the nation's capital. Uh, Now, the interesting question here uh, that I thought we should talk about a little bit is, what was the last time that Washington, D.C., had a World Series champion. Mm. So now the, the conventional story here would be 1924. It's a very moving story. Not only was it 95 years ago, but it was the aging Walter Johnson coming back on short rest to pitch in relief. He's actually on base when a walk-off double is hit. Uh, I mean, he he literally cries. Like his whole career has been spent mm. with this loser of a team. He finally gets to a World Series and he wins. Hmm. And and that's pretty much it. They go back the next year, lose, go back in 1933, lose. And it's kind of all downhill. Then you yep. have to Minnesota. Um, but <laughs> in 1948, in the very last Negro League World Series, the Homestead Grays defeated a team from, I think, Birmingham, Alabama, that included a 17-year-old Willie Mays. Wow. And originally, the Homestead Grays were a Pittsburgh team, but they kind of gradually made Washington their secondary home, and were actually playing more games in Washington than Pittsburgh by World War II. Yeah. And so I I was reading a piece from an intellectual historian named Rob Green at the Society for U.S. Intellectual History as a blog, and, and he pointed this out. And he suggested it it tells us something interesting about how we tell the story or the history of baseball, Mm -hmm. that we just accept MLB as demarcating that. And and in a sense, that's just allowing it to continue to obscure the African-American experience, right? I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a year after Jackie Robinson, the Negro Leagues are still contesting a World Series, and we don't even think of that being part of the story of baseball. So it's interesting trivia, but it also maybe points to a deeper kind of concern I have about myself, which is how are we going to tell the story of sports in this class that we're teaching next spring? I mean, it's very easy to kind of go with the professional leagues, which is a certain way of playing all these sports controlled by a certain group of people. But it excludes then intentionally or otherwise other groups of people people. for for various reasons. And so at least it was a kind of cautionary moment for me to think about what are the stories we're actually telling in this course that students are going to research in the course. Right. So I I don't know if I had anything more than that. I just thought it was an interesting moment. Um, The other thing that came out of that is uh, it it struck me, and I think I even tweeted at one point, in some part of the multiverse that uh, at the very moment that the Nationals were defeating the Astros, Uh, that back in 1994, like 25 years to the day, the Montreal Expos could have been defeating a team like the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. Because 1994, of course, was the strike year where the World Series was called off for the first time in 90 years. The two best teams were the Montreal Expos and the National League, the Yankees, and the American League. Mm -hmm. And that was the last gasp of the Expos. They go downhill from that point on and eventually move to Washington. Yep. And so it made me wonder a little bit, are there still Expos fans out there? And how did they feel about this moment? Was it, this is still their franchise? This is still their team? This is their kind of, it's it's as historic to them as it is to long suffering Washington DC sports fans. Or is there a moment of bitterness? They stole our team, they stole our legacy, and they've hijacked it and attached it to the Senators, which is a different franchise right. that we now possess in Minnesota. And it connected to a question, Sam, that I know had come up in your family, which is who owns the legacy of teams that have moved? So right. Do you want to give us the background of this
3: question? Yeah. So my son and I uh, frequently debate um, debate stuff about sports. And one of the claims he makes is, because I always talk about how the Timberwolves have never made the NBA finals, and he said, yeah, but Minnesota... Um, he, he he claims that the, that the Timberwolves should own the legacy of the Minneapolis Lakers. And it's wrong for the L.A. Lakers to claim those championships when he says those championships belong to Minnesota, not to the Lakers franchise. He also likes to claim that the Twins have won three World Series because he likes to take that Senators World Series. So if he's making an all-time Twins team, he always throws Walter Johnson on the mound.
0: <laughs> well, I don't understand. Would it mean that Washington owns that series if the, by the logic that well, the Timberwolves own the <coughs> Lakers 50s titles? Well, yeah, that's where we get. it gets Confusing, yes, yes. I don't mean to argue with that. Yeah,
3: yeah. No, no. Yeah, no. But I'm just like, like I'm saying, this is why it's complicated. It's complicated mm -hmm. to say, um, um, to say like, like I'm not saying he's consistent in this, but I'm, but I'm saying like, this is an interesting question. Like, like who owns the history of a team, especially when you look at something like, and I know I realize this is written into the contract, but something like the Cleveland Browns, where Mm -hmm. you bring back a team with the same name, the same uniforms, every the records. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like, 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 like. Do though?
0: Does the Cleveland Browns legacy belong to the Ravens? Can or I, I ask to the our Browns? special guest an Indiana question here? Now I know, Absolutely. Sarah, you're a Packers fan, not yes. a Colts fan, but you've, I assume, spent at least part of your childhood and adolescence around Colts fans. Did sure. they regard the Baltimore Colts champion? The Baltimore Colts for a long time were a really important team. Mm-hmm. So I mean, is Johnny Unitas part of Indianapolis Colts lore? Are those famous titles? Is Don Amici in the overtime game part of Colts
2: lore? Or
1: um, I do know of a lot of indiana fans that talk about mm. johnny unitas um i'm not sure that they've tried to own what baltimore did i think mm. that it's interesting for me to think in the reverse you know uh, so the the indianapolis is the team that inherits the colts yeah. um where you know like LA inherits the Lakers and so when they have success in another city do you get that reverse claim but um, yeah I think it's mostly seen as just a Indiana team but Indiana has to kind of hold on to its own things. (laughs) Because the
0: flip side of this, and I forget the years exactly, but it was in the 1990s, the CFL, the Canadian Football League, decided to expand into the United States. And they placed teams in a weird set of cities. And one of them was Baltimore. And they had to call them the the CFLs, but I think there was actually a Colt was either their logo or their mascot.
1: Oh, interesting! And there's an episode of
0: one of my favorite TV series of all time, Homicide: Life on the Streets, which is set in Baltimore. It's I it's, didn't
2: know you liked this show. Oh, it's I what David Homicide. Simon did before The Wire, yeah. right? And and there's
0: an episode where they actually go, and I think I forget which. To it's. It's Ned Beatty is one of the detectives, and they're invited to go as part of like a law enforcement night or something. And they're arguing, is this actually our team? Is this disparaging the Colts? Mm-hmm. And by the end they kinda of get like the you know, it's partly an ad for the C F L and they kinda of say, This is real football and that we can be proud of this. And uh, it was a nice little moment of thinking about does does a community own this story? Does it travel with the Ursays and and the families? That can you can you revive it in another form in some way? And so that, that was what my mind. Was yeah, or 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 can this. both can both claim it. I yeah. mean, like like
3: yeah. that that is also an answer. I mean, to say like Minneapolis can claim the Lakers titles, but so can
0: Los Angeles. Sure. I mean, like uh, in a sense, stories are not private property. We don't actually put fences up around them, right? How do we tell them? The,
3: the thing done? the thing that I think is interesting, which I believe is probably coming, is um, Oklahoma City. The Oklahoma City Thunder currently claim the Seattle SuperSonics legacy, right? But. I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now there was a team called the Seattle Supersonics with the same iconography and like that they're going to want to claim those things again. And, and it'll be interested. I mean, I'm sure,
0: I'm sure this will get worked out legally, but. But that's different than Not emotionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, just last night, my son was looking at the NBA standings, because the Timberwolves are actually in first place briefly, and he asked, yeah, why are. is Oklahoma City in the Northwest Division? And I got to tell him the, the story of the Seattle
1: Supersonics <laughs> right. and Lenny
3: Wilkins.
0: <laughs> why is Memphis in the West? <laughs> I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah. All right. oh,
1: that, one, one piece of Indiana sports yeah. news for the week to throw out here as well is that Roger Penske, long-term mm. racing team owner just purchased the Indianapolis 500 Speedway and the Indy Racing League, which is Ooh. raising a whole host of ethical questions as can he still own teams when he owns the league. So hmm. huh. just throw that out since auto racing isn't yeah, often our, on our radar. Our correspondent is back to check. It's true. It's, <laughs> it's not a sport that's often on our radar.
0: And I should say also the kind of martial arts are not often on our radar. But since we've already talked about UFC, uh, Chris, let's talk about the WWE. We should really ask sure. if professional wrestling is a sport. Let's do that. No, but you would actually asked. <laughs> it's really a sports journalism, I think, related it question because it is. who is now broadcasting WWE events?
2: And have been for a long
0: time. That's Fox. Okay. But,
3: but what, what's new what's is that new? is that this is under the heading of Fox Sports. Right. Right. So if you so, go to the Fox Sports website, you will see the NFL and the WWE. So can I
2: pull the three of you because I'm not sure how I feel about this. Is this a big deal or not? Fox runs... I'm gonna get in trouble with my WE uh fan friends here. Fox runs legitimate sports, right? They run football, they run baseball. Um they do they cover NBA at all? I don't believe so so. they do. But they college football for sure. Um and in under the same division, they're also covering WWE. Now, which is scripted programming? Which is right? scripted programming? Now, this now anybody who's sort of a, a mustache twirling villain outside of the sports world would look into this and say, "Well, but aren't, isn't football kind of scripted too?" Let's be honest. And just Bill Walsh's first drive—that's the only thing that's. Scripted. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in, in, no, <laughs> there's, there's the high five. Okay, there. so are you bothered by this? Are you bothered that this clearly demonstrably fictional? enterprise is under the same aegis as um, non-scripted sporting events?
1: Yes. As a philosopher speaking here, we're really playing with the definition of the word sports when you make that Catch move. Sarah Shady, public philosopher, on Channel 3900. <laughs> I mean, I think what else? what else <clears throat> then becomes that? Like, does musical theater with really great choreography get picked up by Cirque Fox Sports? Soleil. I'd be so
0: upset when Sports <laughs> Center has its like Tony's breakdown. <laughs> That's... No, I mean, I think it's getting at our definition of sports yeah. and at news, right? Both. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that I think we talked about way back at the beginning of the show of what define, I mean, it's, it's It shows that uh, nonfiction is even stranger than fiction. I forgot how Sam put it, but that was pretty... Like, the stories are truer than they could possibly... I mean, mm-hmm. it's because it's unknown. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the same way... Oddly, it makes me think of, did you read Martin Scorsese's New York Times letter to the editor about the Marvel Universe I did. yesterday? Mm-hmm. I mean, his argument is that those are not cinema. They're not art because they're like an amusement park. You know exactly what's going to happen. Right. There is no surprise. There's there, no character development. Right. There is understand. nothing in which you are on this kind of journey. and you.
1: Oh, I beg to differ. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm taking this <laughs> off track here. But
0: I would say, though, I mean, in a sense, aren't WWE fans, even though they know it's scripted, they, mm-hmm. they know the outcome is foreordained. They don't necessarily know what the actual outcome is. I mean, no, they, they are experiencing the, the same now. emotional arc as I am when I watch Game 7 of the World Series where the Nationals are down, and then they come back and Mm -hmm. they survive yet another elimination game for the fifth time. Uh, See, here, I would say they're experiencing
3: the same emotional arc you are when you watch old episodes of Homicide Life on the street, (laughs) where you don't – if it's an episode you haven't seen, you don't know what's going to happen. But it is is scripted by someone where Mm -hmm. the Nats – when a guy is up there throwing and a guy is up there swinging the bat, it's not determined. Mm-hmm. Where, where in in uh, in WWE, it, it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I mean, maybe not every mechanic of everything. Although a lot of it is not every mechanic, but the end result, everybody is has conspired towards. Yeah.
1: So let's imagine a world <clears throat> where the referees decide to script a game. Mm-hmm to determine the outcome. And the
2: players are in on it too.
1: And the players are in on it too mm-hmm. and no money is exchanged. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. watch that game, you would feel like you had been cheated. Right. Right. Yeah. You yeah. would feel like yeah. that wasn't a real sporting mm-hmm. event. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's it it's the same thing. It's the it's almost like the DVR problem where once a game's over, even if you don't know mm. what happened, it's not exactly the same no. because no. because it's already been determined where mm-hmm. it's in and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah because we don't watch many things live, but you will hear, e- almost every person will tell you it's not the same when I, if I'm watching a DVR game or if I'm watching an ESPN Classic game that I don't know the end result of. It's not the same.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've, we've almost, though, gone... I, I mean, I kind of took us off track because now we're back to the question of this is the sport. Right. We could now ask the prior, or I guess, the succeeding question, which is, is it the job of Fox Sports to cover sports? Because I, I want to go back, <laughs> to, which seems stupid. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> no, 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 no. I... Uh, what does what the, the E and ESPN stand for
3: exactly? I don't know. Is it entertainment?
0: entertainment, entertainment sports, sports programming. Now, yeah. I mean, because I mean, Fox Sports is just another version of ESPN, whatever it calls itself. From the beginning, has this not also been really about, I mean, this is, we, we think of it as news, and mm-hmm. occasionally they develop a kind of news gathering apparatus, and they do outside the lines, but this has never really been news, right, in which we're reporting something which the outcome was up in the air, and people want mm-hmm. to keep up with it. This has always, from the beginning, been about entertainment. So I, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Right? Yeah, and sure WWE I, I, can't I, believe Fox Sports is doing this. Yeah, I I'm expect right. nothing less. I, I, from I'm them trying at this to
3: think point. of like, um, okay, I don't know who's on Fox, so let's pretend Stephen A. Smith moved to Fox because I can't think of somebody who's on a think, Fox talking uh, Skip head. Skip is on. A, okay, Skip Bayless. Show, yeah. right. So like, if the, if I'm if if there's a Skip Bayless show where he's being the character of Skip Bayless, mm-hmm. then arguing about WWE outcomes and what's going to happen, like. I feel like like we have crossed some, and maybe there, maybe this is already yeah. happening. But like, I feel like we actually have crossed some lines at that well, point. Well, let's put this to me. That's the entertainment sports part. Although I realize ESPN had wrestling back in a long yeah, time. Ago. Did. Yeah. Well, let
0: me put this okay. way. I mean, the other major source for sports still is broadcast networks, mm-hmm. right? And mingling with those sports are reality TV shows. Like Dancing with the Stars is broadcast, but, by the, the but, same but it's not covered, covered by their sports division. It's not covered by so NBC just, Sports. Is this just so.
2: an incremental shift that's troubling? Or is this a watershed moment? I
0: would say yeah. incremental shift. Yeah. I'd say it's already happened. This is just yeah. one more step along that. But, but
3: I think I'll, we do need to acknowledge those moments when we're like, you know, what this one doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's that's an it's an intuition thing rather than a, we can ma- necessarily make a airtight logical argument. But something something feels
2: weird about this. I'll me. just say I think Chris is absolutely right. I think this is just a continuation of the reality TV uh, enterprise yeah. where we have a whole. Huge segment of, of entertainment that's presented as competitive or real time, objectively determined with uncertain outcomes when it is, in fact, absolutely not. And it it's deeply scripted and prescribed. And I think that this is. This is a consequence of that.
0: So how long until we see the president of the United States serving as a guest referee slash wrestler in a WWE Wait, event on hasn't Fox? that happened already? That has happened already. <laughs> yes, before he was president, but I'm just saying that could happen. Okay, before we go, uh, Sam, let's check in on the last time we were here. We all suggested three to see, were they... Worth the watch. Uh, Chris Moore said we should watch the World Series, the Nats winning Game Seven. Uh, this is—it's
3: been a while since I've watched the World Series really closely. This was really fun, it so I'm really going to give much. this a worth the yeah. watch. Uh, Chris Garrett said we should watch the—was uh, it the World Cup of rugby? Rugby World Cup. Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Uh, South Africa beat England 32-12 in the finals. I'm going to give you
0: exactly 20 seconds to explain how that this was worth it. Because the Springboks are a team you want to root for. It's becoming increasingly a multi-racial team that reflects South Africa. The players that scored the two tries were both uh, black. Black players uh they're a team i always want to root for and it's kind of fun to see england lose sports that it invented all right <laughs> okay. um and i said that you yeah. should watch number one Mater d
3: uh play against number two saint john bosco in high school football uh Mater d won 38 24 um both quarterbacks who are going to alabama and um clemson played well cody epps had 11 receptions 175 yards and three touchdowns
0: for Mater d in the win Worth the watch. Okay. We'll be right back with Sarah Shady, public philosopher, to talk about gender in sports.
2: This week in sports history Baltimore, Maryland, November 6th, 1995. At a press conference in front of Camden Yards, Cleveland Browns owner Art Modell announces his team will be moving to Baltimore, which agreed to build a new stadium a decade after losing the Colts to Indianapolis.
0: Moscow, USSR, November 9, 1985. In a rematch of the 1984 World Chess Championship, Garry Kasparov defeats fellow Russian Anatoly Karpov 13-11. Just 22 years old, Kasparov becomes the youngest world champion in chess history.
2: Los Angeles, California, November tenth, two 2003. In winning her 90th match and 9th title of the year, Belgian Kim Kleisters becomes the first woman in tennis history to earn over $4 million in a single season.
0: And we'll stay in Los Angeles, November 7, 1991. Just a few months after losing that summer's NBA Finals to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, Magic Johnson shocked the basketball world by announcing his sudden retirement.
1: Because of the, the HIV virus that I have attained... Uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers uh, today.
0: You've been listening to This Week in Sports History. All right, wreck for segment two, and Sarah Shady is stuck with us. Parvus wants to talk about the black cat at the Giants Cowboys game on Monday Night Football and Kevin Harlan's amazing call of that.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Where, where did the cat line up in terms of
2: rushing
1: yards?
0: He's <laughs> kind of a short yardage back who like gets the fantasy points by plugging it in from. There we go. Out. That would be an end zone vulture, the term you're looking for. Thank you, Sam. But we're not actually here to talk about that. Um, as I said in the first segment, in, in our now almost 20 episodes, I think we've often talked about. Gender or masculinity, femininity, uh, related topics like sexuality. And we always then say to ourselves, oh, but we should really have our friend Sarah come on to talk about this because Sarah Shady, among her many interests, teaches a class called Intro to Gender Studies yes. at Bethel University and helps direct a minor in gender studies. And so we thought to help us think through how to talk about gender, not just on this podcast, but when we have this course coming out in the spring, uh, we should bring you on just to kind of talk through the ways in which gender and sports uh, intersect with each other. And so uh, I, with not too much difficulty, I'm going to be a dumb guy and ask uh, pretty broad, stupid questions <laughs> in order to set up then some possible ways we could see the connection. Let me just ask you first, Sarah, uh, to do something I'm sure you do early in this course. Tell us what gender is.
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to talk about gender, um, I also want to put it in comparison with sex. Mm-hmm. So sex is your biological classification as male or female. We also have a category of intersex for people who chromosomally or for other reasons share um uh, biological aspects of both sex and that category is bigger than we might think it is. Um, and then gender has to do with how we perform masculinity or femininity. So gender is um, what you act out about mm-hmm. um who you are as a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. It's kind of the the it's a it's an active thing, a doing thing. So mm-hmm. it can be anything from the clothes you wear, uh, your patterns of speech, the way you sit in a chair, the type of professions you go into, the toys you're um pl- the toys you're playing with. We have a lot of ways that we act out gender. Now the interesting thing about gender in that sense um and, and the important thing about differentiating it from biology is that gender changes over time, right? I mean, if we're in the 1700s, masculinity in- involves wearing shoes with a substantial heel, tights, and a wig with long hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you wear that today, you're performing femininity. So gender changes over time and by culture, um, whereas um Biological sex is thought to be more um, rigid. So I assume,
0: because of the location where we're teaching, you've got a fair number of students who come into your class thinking these there is no difference, or they're inextricably linked that your sex mm-hmm. determines an, a fixed gender, and they wouldn't think of this as performance; they'd think of it as determined by sex, right? That, that those who are uh, male by sex act in masculine ways, and vice versa. Um, So, I mean, I think the the example of, so fashion is a good way of, what's another way in which you try to complicate this notion for students?
1: Right. There are lots of places in the world where male friends would be seen walking around holding hands together or giving each other kisses on the cheek. That would contradict our definition of masculinity here. Um, There are places in the world where um, femininity actually involves being incredibly strong because of the amount of physical labor you're doing to carry water for your family, to uh, be part of the um, construction and movement of your house Mm -hmm. from place to place. Um, So there's myriad cultural and historical examples Mm -hmm. that we can use to see how those terms are separable.
0: So uh, since sports is a part of culture that we want to talk about, I, I don't know if you talk about this in your class or if it comes up in the discipline of gender studies, but can you think of ways in which sports help Um, kind of create notions of femininity, masculinity of this performance of gender.
1: Right. Absolutely. So on the very first day of intro to gender studies, I have students make a big list that we put on the board of just our default positions. What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be feminine? Hmm. Um, Strong and athletic is always at the top of the most common answers for what it means to be a man in America. Mm-hmm. And things like being um, a nurturer and being kind of dainty or more passive are always at the top of what it means to be a woman mm-hmm. in America when the students make mm-hmm. their list. And so when we think about how that translates then into athletics – Women culturally are not necessarily supposed to fit the model of a strong, muscular athlete. And men are not necessarily supposed to fit the model of someone who might be more artistic mm. or more at home um, in academic life or nurturing children or those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so I think sports in a lot of ways perpetuates um, these gender stereotypes that have developed in, in the West. Uh, and I think sports actually is a complicated one because students can start to think about, oh, these are things that we've made up, but if we want to try to change it, how do we do that? Because sports is, a, you know, we hang on to that so mm-hmm. tightly of we don't want mixed gender sports teams mm-hmm. or we're worried about, you know, competition and equality if we if we would change that. Um, one other dimension then too that figures in here that complicates things a bit is um, that increase uh awareness in our society of transgender persons mm-hmm. and so to understand uh, what it means to be transgender um if you're Biological sex matches the gender traits that you perform. You're considered cisgender, C-I-S gender. Mm -hmm. So I am biologically female. I dress, act, perform mostly feminine things. I'm a cisgender person. A transgender person is a person for whom the biological sex does not match the way they perform gender. So they might be biologically male, but act, dress, carry themselves as a female or biologically female and act and carry sure. themselves as a male. And then that's raised a lot of interesting questions for schools, mm-hmm. for state athletic leagues, mm-hmm. all the way up to the national mm-hmm. level of where do transgender athletes fit in?
0: Yeah, no, it came up, I was on a school board, a uh, private school board for a few years. And one of the things we had to do was there's a state high school league statement we have to read. And it, it became an issue around uh, like access to locker rooms, as well as bathrooms. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure I came up with us, but in certain states, it has you know, um, a transgender athlete would want to compete, whether it's wrestling or something else. Um, I'll get my language wrong here, so That's I mean, okay. someone who identifies as female would want to compete with women because we do, for the most part, in most sports differentiate between the two. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get, like, I wish I had, again, done more research before. I mean, is, that a, is there a case you use for this? Or the other one that comes to mind when you mentioned intersex before is the case of the South African runner, um, Kester Smenya. Yeah,
1: right? absolutely. And we can, talk about, um, we can talk about that case as well as the other case. We mainly look at state law and school board law in terms of different ways that schools are trying to deal with this, right? So a lot of states are moving into the um, or Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say a lot, but a movement is towards saying you can be on the sports team with the team that you um, identify with, but then the instant responses back to that usually come in two forms. One, that wouldn't be fair. So if you have a, a person who's biologically male, competing with women maybe that might not be fair competition mm-hmm. and then the other question is often a perceived harm of i don't want someone who's biologically a different sex in the same locker room And that's usually an assumption of a male being in a female Mm -hmm. locker room. So we unpack both of those issues uh, in class in terms of, well, what's really fair and what's really harmful and how much of this is rooted in stereotypes and assumption. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting because when we look at the science of sex and gender, there is overwhelmingly more similarities between men and women. But our entire lives, we've been trained to focus on what's different about us. So we actually perceive ourselves as being much more different than we are. But if you look at bell curves of traits, including athleticism, there's so much overlap between the abilities of men and women. There's so much overlap in height, in muscular structure. So we're mm-hmm. actually trained to think we're much more different than we actually are.
0: So I've been wrestling with this as a parent. Um, I, so my, we have twins, boy and girl. Uh, And they have played on the same baseball team since they were kindergartners and did it all the way up through this fall. They were on kind of a third, fourth grade team. They're both pitching. My daughter pitched, struck out the side in the first time she pitched, but then she made clear to me after, I want to go play softball.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Mostly because that's where her friends go. She sure. is, with one exception, for four seasons, been the only girl on her team. And she could continue to do that, like all the way up through, it goes through like age 14 in our youth baseball league. She could continue to play baseball, but um, for a variety of reasons, she wants to go play softball. And I suspect that's not all that unusual now, that, mm-hmm. that at certain level of youth sports, we don't actually impose this divide. And then um, either by regulation or by personal choice or family pressure or social, whatever it is, we start dividing. And once you get up to probably high school sports, certainly college sports and then pro sports, there are very few sports where you see men and women competing against mm-hmm. each other. Um I don't know if it's right to ask you whether that's appropriate or maybe it's like what does that do to continue to fix certain notions of how we perform gender or is it actually in some ways help to complicate it because uh, it does give them access to women um, like so women's national team we talked about over the summer for soccer. Mm-hmm. In which they get uh, a great deal more attention, opportunities that might not have been there. I, I don't even know where I'm where I'm headed with this. Like, um, as you think about this, is sports then acting more as an engine for change, a reflection of society, actively constraining you know certain social expectations about gender? Yeah, I,
1: and I think these are really good questions, and it's complicated. And you know, and if I think at the level of just children and psychological health, right? I mean, I think we don't. Want to force our children as individuals to be the person who has to make social change. They Mm -hmm. might choose to be a person who wants to do that. Um, but what would a really good model for sports and gender look like? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I have a good answer for Mm -hmm. that. I mean, we could, we could keep the status quo um we have the problem of inequality in pay as women's Mm -hmm. soccer has clearly demonstrated and so we would maybe want to make that more just in terms of how the pay scale plays out um we could imagine removing gender entirely or sex designations entirely from sports and anyone can try out for any team um And, you know, people might say, well, you wouldn't have women making the team. Well, it might take a few generations until you have the level of training at a young age for a certain sport going in, right? So sometimes what we think is a significant biological difference is just a general, a a social difference played out Mm -hmm. over several Mm -hmm. generations, right? If you haven't had the same level of, You know, training, um, over time. And then that also plays into genetics. It, you know, it can take some time, uh, to see more equality over generations. Um, you could potentially move to a model where you've got options, where you have the, um, gender segregated teams, a male team, a female team, and then you have gender integrated teams. So there's also a team where both are allowed to play and people are allowed to self-select which Mm -hmm. team they'd like to be on.
0: Um, we've already talked about, so I asked about gender. I think we moved into gender identity right? yes. yeah, at one point. Um, maybe we should talk about gender roles. I think we've kind of been flirting with this, but are there ways right. in which sports not only help uh, fix notions of gender identity, but fix expectations around gender roles, <laughs> what women do, what men do in a society?
1: Exactly. Um, it has um, a lot of uh, you know ideas about men are supposed to be... Um, the strong ones, which not only in a sport that translates into assumptions about military assumptions, about law enforcement, firefighters, assumptions about who plays what role in the home. Um, We see those stereotypes also played out in the media. Um, it has assumptions even in terms of, like, who likes to watch sports. So um, you all know I'm an avid watcher of auto racing mm-hmm. college basketball in the <laughs> NFL, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and that is sometimes rare for a woman. Often if we're getting together with couples to watch a sporting event, I would rather be in the room where the TV is actually watching the event. But the problem is most of the women are hanging out in the kitchen where the snacks are, you know or that kind of thing. And so even how this plays out in the average American home on a Sunday afternoon reinforces certain gender roles.
0: Right. Well, it, we're running out of time, and, and we need to let Sarah get going here. But I do want to encourage students, uh, it, our course is an L course, and so for Gen Ed, either of these would be good options. But uh, if you're interested in this, I actually think taking Sarah's course, Intro to gender Studies, in J-Term, right? This because year, we're...
1: it's taught in J-Term. It's usually mm-hmm. a spring course. I mean, this it's way. It
0: would actually be a good springboard into some of what we'll be talking about then in the spring. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, I mean, <laughs> I should clearly be auditing this course. I would, mm-hmm. I would ask questions more knowledgeably. But I think it would actually be a really interesting pair of courses to take in sequence.
1: Absolutely. And the intro to gender studies also meets an L tag. Yep. So it's your follow up to CWC. So uh, feel free to shoot me an email if you're interested in knowing more. I think we
2: definitely need to revisit both how gender reinforces traditional uh, roles of masculinity and fem, or excuse me, how sports reinforces traditional roles of masculinity and femininity, but also how it complicates them in certain ways, as yeah. yes. it develops. Yeah. And there's
1: a huge economic impact to all of that that we haven't talked about
2: absolutely. Yet. So
0: this is a good introduction. I think one thing we'll have to talk about soon is how we're going to do this podcast once we're into the class. But one thing we've talked about is using maybe as a preview or a review of what we've talked about in class. So I'd imagine, Sarah, we might have you back.
1: Sounds old. fun. Okay. So
0: Sarah, what is coming up on Sarah Shady Public Philosophy?
1: Um, our next episode is going to focus on technology and ethics. We're going to have a guest speaker joining me in the studio from South Dakota State University mm-hmm. to talk about the ethics of data mining and mm-hmm. social media. He'll also be on campus to give a lecture on that topic.
0: Fantastic. So you can find this all at Channel 3900, among other places, cwc.podbean.com. We'll be right back to wrap up this episode of the 252.
3: Get in touch with the show by emailing us at channel3900 at gmail.com.
0: All right, as always, we're running out of time, but we want to give you three to see over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you start us?
2: I'll admit, I'm struggling this week. Oh, wait, I'm not! Number two and number three, Alabama and LSU, which we've already talked about, is are playing this week. Sure, it's obvious, but this game could very well be a preview of a college football playoff game, even that the losing team still has a chance to make the playoff. Much hinges on the health of Tua Tegliavoa's ankle. Uh, President Trump, as we've already discussed, Mm -hmm. plans to attend. Uh, Given the location, I expect in this case the cheers will drown out the booze.
0: If they don't, I think he's done. Yeah. Is that fair? Okay. Sam. Uh,
3: November 7th through the 15th, Dubai hosts the 2019 World Para-Athletics Championships, a biennial Paralympic event featuring athletics uh, events contested by athletes with physical and intellectual disabilities. Athletes from 114 countries will compete in this event, which serves as a qualifier for all track and field events in the 2020 Summer Paralympics in Tokyo.
0: All right. And the 108th Davis Cup will conclude November 18th through 24 in Madrid, Spain. Essentially the World Cup of Men's Tennis, the last round of the Davis Cup features 18 national teams. If the six-seeded U.S. squad is to win for the first time since 2007 when James Blake and Andy Roddick, remember them, mm-hmm. led them to victory over Russia, the Americans will likely need to get past the top two seats, France, the 2017 titleists, and Croatia, the reigning Davis Cup champs. All right. Well, thanks again, Sarah, for being with us. Not only to talk about gender, gender identity, gender roles, but to talk in the first segment about Indiana sports and give us a a Roger Penske update.
1: It's my favorite topic, Indiana sports. (laughs) All right. Chris, take us away. On behalf of my
2: colleagues here at Bethel University, thanks for listening to The 252. You can always get a hold of us at channel3900gmail.com. And until we talk to you next time, go Royals.